This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hey, everybody, it's Lon Seidman. It's time once again for your weekly wrap-up. I can't believe it's another Monday, but it is. And I've got a bunch of stuff to talk about today, including YouTube, Likes me unboxing crap. I'll show you what I mean about that in a minute. FaceTime is going to shift your gaze when you're talking to people. Roku continues to dominate the streaming marketplace. Streaming overload, though, is real, according to Nielsen. Firefox is testing a subscription service. We're going to have an update on a bunch of recent videos that I did and some long-term updates on my MacBook and my Surface Go. Lots to talk about now, so let's get to it. Now, before we begin, I want to thank our newest supporters on the channel. They include Hudson Betts and Michael Lefebvre, who gave via the donor box page. And then we had a bunch of people who contributed super chats during uh, both the premiere of last week's wrap-up and a couple of live streams that we had during the week. Uh, so I want to thank DDR, Carol Cherminsky, Zam, and Fernie Lopez, Robert Van Etta, Super Big Dog to You, and Dale Marcel. I want to thank these folks and everyone who contributes to the channel on an ongoing basis, along with everyone who watches on an ongoing basis, too, because all of those things equal channel growth. Now, we don't have an advertiser this week, but I did want to do a non-ad, an affiliate link for Amazon Prime Day. Uh, That is going to take place on July 15th and 16th. So that is a week from today, I believe it kicks off. So you definitely want to make sure you got your Prime membership going. You can sign up at the link that you see on screen if you don't. And again, that is an affiliate link that will give us a little bit of a commission when you do sign up for that Prime account. So let's take a look now at the Week in Review. On the Extras channel, I unboxed and reviewed a wireless charger that is also battery-powered, so you can wirelessly charge anywhere. You can see more about that on the Extras channel. And then on the main channel, we had my review of the Valve Index, and I'll have an update on that review in a second. Uh, We did a live stream where I uh, rebuilt my gaming PC because of that Valve Index, and you can see more about that uh, linked in the master playlist down below. And we're also going to be taking that live stream and shortening it up significantly so you can get a more condensed version with an index, and that's going to go up a little bit later this week. Uh, We also looked at Game Pass for PC uh, because Microsoft really had a great deal on this during the July 4th weekend. I think it was going on for the prior month. And if you took your Xbox Gold account and you signed up for Game Pass, you could convert all the time left in your Gold account to an Ultimate Game Pass account. And what you could do is actually go out and buy the uh, Xbox Gold cards on Amazon, the digital ones. So I bought two years' worth and was able to get Game Pass for essentially 5 bucks a month or the cost of two games. Not a bad deal. And that includes both the PC and the console version and Xbox Live Gold. And I'm good till April of 2022. And you can see more about Game Pass uh, on that video there. And then just for the heck of it, I tried to see what would happen if I unboxed a bunch of junk I bought at ThinkGeek when they had their uh, big liquidation sale. And you all seem to love that quite a bit. In fact, Uh, Of the last 10 videos that I uploaded, this one is number two. Now, I took this screenshot last night, but it is still in the number two position as of this morning. So it looks like 
Uh, subscribers seem to like me taking things out of boxes, which I do, by the way, on the Extras channel, so you can watch me do that over there. I'm not going to turn this into an unboxing channel, don't worry, but I thought it was fun just to see uh, a little bit of a different type of content and how that might work with subscribers, and apparently it worked quite well. Now, what's going to happen with this video, though, is that it's going to live its life for a couple of days, and then it's going to die, and it won't be watched that much ever again. But all the other stuff that I do, the reviews, actually do better in the long run uh, than the short-term things. So don't worry, I'm still on track to do my reviews and whatnot, but every once in a while, it's fun to do something a little bit different. And now it's time for some things in the news that caught my eye, and this story will involve your iPhone catching your eye. So we all... Uh, have probably participated in some kind of video chat at this point in the 21st century. And one of the problems that you have typically is that your camera is on the top of your display. So if you're looking at the person that you're talking to, your gaze is not making direct eye contact with them on their screen. And Apple has this weird feature in iOS 13 which will redraw your eyes on your face while you're having the conversation. And if you go to this link here, I think they have a video demonstrating it. So what will happen here, as you can see in this example, is that typically this is how you look. Your gaze is just below the gaze of the camera. Uh, But here, in this example from the new iOS beta, it's going to reposition your eyes so it looks like you're looking directly at the camera even when you are not. It is creepy, yes, but I think it might actually improve conversations because what I typically do when I'm on one of these calls is I look in the camera, just like I look in the camera right here. Uh, but I'm not seeing the person when I'm looking in the camera. This kind of solves that problem uh, by recently moving your eyes around on screen and putting them in a better spot. Kind of creepy, but kind of cool at the same time. Let me know what you think down in the comments below. And it looks like Roku is still the market leader when it comes to streaming set-top boxes. Uh, People don't think of them as the market leader, given that their products are nowhere nearly as advanced as their competitors, but they are giving consumers exactly what they want, a very simple way to stream their favorite streaming services. And they are largely platform agnostic, so there's no issues with a streaming service not being on the Roku. In fact, I think they have everything with the exception of Apple on Roku, and I bet you Apple will probably make their way over to Roku devices as they begin to really double down on their content strategy. Uh, This market research firm Strategy Analytics reveals that 30% of U.S. sales in the first quarter of 2019 went to Roku when it comes to connected TV devices. And this includes both their TVs with Roku integrated and the boxes and sticks that they sell separately. Uh, Those TCL TVs, for example, are pretty popular. In fact, a friend of mine just bought one the other day. Uh, So there are now 41 million Roku devices in use, which is crazy, just here in the U.S. Uh, But Amazon is catching up a bit. Uh, Their Fire TV OS was the second most sold device in quarter one of 2019 with 12% of sales, followed by Samsung at 11% and Google devices at 9%. But those Google devices were spread out by all the different Android TV boxes and TVs out there and Chromecasts. Uh, which they don't manufacture themselves. So the market for people making these devices is quite small. And just goes to show you that if you deliver exactly what customers want in a simple way, they'll be happy and buy it. And that's one of the things that I think a lot of these TV box makers have struggled with is that they try to throw so much into these things and that's not what consumers apparently want. They're perfectly happy with a relatively low-powered Roku device that just plays streaming content with none of the drama of things getting blocked like Amazon and YouTube have been doing over the last couple of years. And we'll see what happens now that uh, YouTube is making its way to the Amazon Fire TV. That might 
uh, improve their sales a bit for people that like to watch YouTube on television, but it really is pretty clear here that uh, Roku's the leader and it's going to be very difficult to unseat them because once you get a Roku box and it works, you're not likely going to upgrade to something else a little bit later. Now, a few weeks ago, I was complaining about how hard it is to find anything to watch on Netflix and a few of the other streaming services that I subscribe to. And apparently, I am not alone. Deadline is talking about a new Nielsen report that says it takes seven minutes for the average viewer to pick just what to watch and less than a third bother to dive into the menu to go looking for content. And I think this speaks to the power of the YouTube recommended page, because whenever I get frustrated with Netflix, as I've talked about before, I hop over to YouTube and usually out of that, you know, six or nine videos that they present to you, there's usually two or three that I would immediately click on and watch. And I think that is something Netflix is really going to have to focus on as Disney Plus spins up, which will be a major competitor to them. Uh, Disney Plus, of course, is going to be half the price of Netflix and will have the complete Disney catalog, which is a lot of content, a lot of it leaving Netflix to go over to that uh, new streaming service. And I think a lot of people will be questioning uh, the value of some of these other streaming services when that lower cost option does come out. So Netflix and others have to do better at making those recommendations to you or they're going to lose out. And what's been interesting in watching Netflix over the last two weeks with Stranger Things 3 being released is that I think a lot of those marketing dollars that they're spending, and they're spending a lot, are probably really directed at existing subscribers to get them to boot up the app and jump in so that they realize there is some value to their expensive subscriptions. So we'll have to see where all this goes, but uh, I predict we will see a major improvement of the Netflix and Amazon and other streaming service homepages due to the fact that there's some real data now that shows consumers are getting very frustrated and moving on to places where it's less frustrating to find something of interest. Now, you're all going to hate to hear me say this, but I do believe subscriptions are the future of content. And the Mozilla Foundation, who is the group behind the Firefox web browser, is experimenting with a $4.99 per month subscription service for sites that are reporting news. And they are partnering up with some of the world's greatest publishers, they say, to bring you a better journalism experience. They're going to share payments from this service directly with the sites that people read. And this in turn would mean you wouldn't see advertisements on those sites, nor would you be bugged to subscribe to them individually. What will happen here is they will likely divvy up the subscription payments based on how much attention you're giving to each of the sites that are in uh, their network. And I think these uh, subscription-based content platforms will probably be the wave of the future here, whether it is through a platform directly like YouTube or perhaps something like what Mozilla is doing here where you become part of their network and then if you're on a network site, uh, there's some compensation distributed to the creators. Now I can tell you uh, as a YouTube creator uh, that the YouTube subscription service called YouTube Premium, formerly known as YouTube Red, has actually been a very good thing for content creators. I've talked about this a lot in the past because what happens is, is that every minute that somebody watches as a YouTube Premium subscriber, is compensated back to the creator based on how many minutes are watched by YouTube premium subscribers in a month. And the results, for me at least, are five times more revenue versus those same viewers watching with ads. There's a much better share of revenue uh, based on the subscriber attention model versus the 
uh, free ad model. And there's a whole host of reasons why uh, the ad model doesn't make as much money, but really it's kind of amazing to see that difference. And I think something like this would work very well for publishers also. Uh, Apple has something called Apple News Plus that's been out there now for a couple of months. It's $10 a month, and it gets you a bunch of magazine subscriptions, even the Wall Street Journal, which is a very expensive publication you can uh, read uh, as part of your Apple News Plus subscription. So I think this thing is going to become more of a thing as time goes on. We're going to see a lot of experimentation with this, like YouTube Premium and others, uh, but I do foresee that this is probably where it's going to go. There's a big backlash against advertisements because of the privacy implications. Uh, The ads are annoying. They don't seem to be very effective as they once were or if ever. Uh, And I think that's something that's going to be on the horizon here. Uh, The other issue, of course, with advertising is that the nature of digital advertising is that you focus on finding audience, not publications. And the result of that audience hunt is that your ads often appear on content that you as an advertiser are not comfortable with. And that's something, of course, YouTube is struggling with, which is that demonetization thing that goes on all the time. In fact, you can't even report the news on YouTube anymore because they simply won't allow ads to run on videos reporting on current events that might involve something that's uncomfortable for people. And that's not YouTube's fault. It's the advertisers who say, we don't want to be seen on any of this stuff, even though they advertise on television uh, against those same topics. But even if you get the yellow icon on YouTube, you are still earning YouTube premium subscription dollars. So when people complain about this topic or that topic getting demonetized with their favorite creators, there's a good chance that that creator is still getting revenue from premium subscribers. And if you want to help that creator, you can, of course, contribute to their Patreon or to their uh, donor systems, whichever ones they use. Or you can subscribe to YouTube Premium or both, because at least when they're watching on a premium video, or at least as a premium subscriber, uh, every minute that you're watching is compensating that creator more so than they would get being demonetized, of course, or even with ads running against it. I'm starting to struggle now because a few of my videos that talked about Cody even got demonetized because advertisers don't like that either, apparently. So this is becoming a real frustration point for me. A lot of the things that I cover typically uh, might be under the gun for demonetization. I've had two videos already demonetized and they denied my, uh, my appeal already because they covered Cody. That's a problem. And I think it's only going to continue but I think these subscription services might be the better way to go. So we'll have to see how this develops. I don't like the fact that uh, Mozilla is picking and choosing who can be in this, but hopefully there will be some other options out there where uh, they'll be less selective about the type of content and give more opportunity for independent creators to share their voices with their audiences. And now it's time for some updates of prior topics that we've looked at here on the channel. And we're going to start off with the Brave browser, which is actually relevant to what we just discussed. Now, what Brave is doing is building out a web browser and an advertising model that respects your privacy. And I definitely suggest you check out the video to learn exactly how it's going to work uh, because it is a little more complicated than the traditional uh, advertising model that just has you broadcasting out your private information to the world. Uh, In this model, everything stays private on the browser and the browser actually does the ad targeting. And as a result of this, when there are ads that show up on your computer, Uh, They will put the money from those ads into a wallet, which is consisting of their cryptocurrency called BAT. And then the browser can auto-distribute those dollars back to your favorite creators based on the amount of attention you've given them. And again, all of that is on your computer and nowhere else. So it's kind of a neat idea. 
in that you can have something like this Firefox subscription model without anybody knowing what you were looking at. So it's kind of a different approach here. So I got my first round of money in here, uh, 9.9 BATs or about $2.93. And that's going to, again, auto-distribute uh, based on the sites that I have spent the most time on in the past month. So that uh, is interesting. Now, if you are not currently part of the Brave Rewards program as a creator, it'll hold the money in escrow. Uh, so when I went on and signed on to the Brave Creators program, there was about $40 waiting for me there from people that had contributed money to my uh, channel. So I want to thank you all for that. If you did do that, that was very nice of you. Uh, so that is out there. If you're a creator, you may want to just sign up for this thing because it's there and you should do it. Um, so that's how this works. Now, what I thought you could do, though, is just pocket the money yourself if you just wanted to take the money out. Uh, but it doesn't let you do that right now. So when the money comes into the wallet... It has to be redistributed through this Brave Rewards program and nowhere else. Now, what you could do is you could set up yourself as a creator and then just send yourself the money. That would probably be one way to do it. Uh, but right now, there's no easy way to pluck the money out of your wallet. You have to kind of keep it within uh, the ecosystem there. But it seems to be working, and we'll see how it all plays out. Uh, most of the people on my top tier of my attention this month are not uh, brave certified creators. So it's going to hold their money in escrow until they sign up for it. But I think it's kind of cool. We'll see how uh, this works out. The question is whether or not they can get this working at scale. And if Google or Mozilla or some other larger group decided to start doing this, maybe without the cryptocurrency component, they may uh, be able to get this going a lot quicker than the brave folks can. But I do hope they continue uh, doing this because I do like what they are putting together. One frustration I have with the Brave browser is that it is not synchronizing the attention data across my different browsers. It's currently only doing bookmarks. So if I'm on my desktop computer and looking at a bunch of websites there, uh, it's going to keep a separate attention list on that machine versus this one. I was able to get my wallet to synchronize. What you do is you take your wallet that you want to be the master and you back it up and then restore it on all the other computers that you want to use Brave on. And that will at least keep the dollars uh, across all of your browsers together. Uh, but by default, it sets up a new wallet every time. So there's going to be a lot of orphaned BATs out there unless you go through the trouble of actually synchronizing or, or restoring your wallet on each computer. So the synchronization definitely needs work. I think that's probably its biggest issue at the moment. Uh, so hopefully they can get that auto-contribute data to sync along with the wallets in a much easier way than it does now. Because right now it just doesn't feel all that friendly to me. But I do like uh, where they are going. Definitely check out, though, the Brave review that I did to get more of a context about how this browser works and what it can do. I also wanted to give you a brief update on my Valve Index VR review. As you'll recall from that review, I had two big issues with it. The first is an optical problem inside the headset itself and that I was getting a jelly vision effect when I was turning my head, things that were rectangular uh, would get a little wobbly uh, as I was moving around. And no matter where I positioned the headset on my head, I would still be seeing this effect. And it's not good, especially in a $1,000 VR device. And then I also had some issues with my controllers. And I finally heard back from Valve, at least on the headset problem. And what they are going to do for me is send out an advanced replacement in that they're going to ship me out a new headset and then I'm going to return the uh, one that I have and hopefully this will resolve the issue. So I'll keep you posted on that. Uh, they have not yet responded though to my issue on the controllers and a bunch of other people are having some similar problems with those too. Uh, and hopefully all of that stuff will get resolved. But so far this has not been a very good first experience and it kind of just speaks to the fact that 
Valve needs to work on their customer service. And I'll give you a great example. When I bought this MacBook here on the desk, I had a day one showstopper problem in that uh, when I uh, booted up Windows in Boot Camp on it, it physically blew out the speakers. It was crazy. I've never seen anything like that before. Uh, but I contacted Apple, and that day, the day of the call, the minute of the call, uh, things got resolved. And then it got escalated, even without me saying anything. It got escalated, and then I got another call the next morning, and they uh, shipped me out another MacBook overnight for an advanced replacement. So I didn't have to wait a week to get a response, because Apple recognized that they sold me a premium product, and they delivered premium service when that product wasn't working as expected. Uh, this thing has not had that level of service applied to it. Uh, but hopefully we'll get this headset issue resolved and now I've got to go fight over the controllers and try to get those fixed and hope maybe <laughs> by the time this is all over with, I will have something completely functional or not. And that's my last fear is that there's no way to issue any kind of refund through Valve's website. They just deny you immediately as we talked about in that video. And I was talking about maybe doing a chargeback if this doesn't get rectified to my satisfaction. But if I do that, Valve will disable my Steam account completely uh, which means that all the games I've purchased will be inaccessible to me. So I'm really stuck here, and I'm hoping that uh, they improve their customer service workflow, which unfortunately at the time of recording this video has not been improved at all. So stay tuned on that. Now in that review, we talked about the IPD adjustment in the headset, and I asked if there were any good ways to measure the IPD of your eyes. And if you don't know what IPD is, it's the distance between your two pupils. And this is something that gets measured if you're getting prescription eyeglasses, for example. And a VR headset is very similar in that you have to get things in the sweet spot to get the right immersion. And if you know your IPD distance, you can set that adjustment, of course, a lot more efficiently because you'll know exactly what that distance is. Uh, so Jose Delgado wrote in with a great suggestion to go check out Zenny. Uh, which is a prescription eyeglass retailer, and they have a little thing you can print out here to measure the distance yourself, and they give you a whole set of tips as to how to do that. So that might be one way to do it uh, relatively easily. It's nice to get a nice guide to that uh, particular measurement. Uh, another thing that I found, though, is an app on the iPhone called iMeasure, and if you have one of the newer iPhones with the Face ID sensor, it does a really good job of getting that measurement for you here. So you can see as I'm moving my head back and forth, it came up with about 61, 62, somewhere in that range. It was close enough that I was able to uh, make a determination as to what I should set my VR headset to, and that was really helpful. So check it out if you do have one of those compatible iPhones. Incidentally, that pupil tracking is how they shift your gaze uh, for that new camera attention feature too. So good stuff there and check it out if you want to know your IPD distance. And now it's time for a Q&A from you, the viewers. And I had this great question from Inky Steve about accessibility and virtual reality. Because as you all know, uh, most of the VR apps that are out there involve standing and making big movements with your arms and in many cases your feet as you walk around these VR worlds. Uh, but not everyone can do that especially if they have physical disabilities. And Inky says his partner can't move much, but she would love to have a go at something like this, as I'm sure others would to get the feeling of freedom again. Uh, so I did a little digging around because unless the app has some kind of accessibility mode to it, uh, you might be out of luck, but there are some solutions out there. Uh, this really looked to be the most interesting to me. It's called Walk-In VR Driver. And this integrates with Steam VR and sets itself up as another device within 
uh, the Steam VR system. This is one thing Valve has done very well, is allow uh, third-party uh, devices and applications to integrate with their VR environment pretty seamlessly. And they've got a bunch of different things that you can do with this driver depending on the needs of the, of the user. So in one instance here, they have a virtual controller where the controller can uh, be just placed in space somewhere and the person can control that controller uh, with the head-mounted display. So if, for example, you wanted to uh, have a gun pointed or something, you can just lock it in place and then move, use your head to move around to have that controller fire, for example. So that's one uh, thing that they've got going. Uh, they also have some ways to use the controller for movement. So you can simulate here standing up and getting that sense of height uh, just by using the controller to adjust the position of the person in the virtual world. Uh, they also have the controller position shift, so you can uh, have the controller held up higher in the view, uh, but you can use it while you're holding it lower. And you can see what they're doing here is kind of virtually lifting the controller up and then moving it even though their hands are lower there. And they can also give the, uh, the freedom to make it feel like you're standing while you do it as well. So that's really cool. Uh, they have another one here called Controller Position Orientation, where players are able to change the idle orientation of their controller in virtual reality. It helps players who have a limited range of motion in their wrists. Uh, they even have a mode where uh, you can have a friend control part of the game with an Xbox controller, so uh, somebody can have a partner to help them out if they can't do something specific in the game. So there's a lot of things that they're doing here that I thought were really thoughtful and I think address a lot of different accessibility issues. I haven't actually tried this myself just yet, so if you uh, have a VR setup and have some folks that might benefit from this, uh, give it a shot and let me know uh, down in the comments how it's working for you, because it looks like they're putting a lot of uh, thought and effort into all the different kinds of accessibility problems that come out of uh, these virtual reality games. Now these next two questions involve my two favorite little devices, and we're going to be cross-platform here. One of them is running Mac OS, the other is running Windows 10. I will begin, though, with my 12-inch MacBook, and X-Hacker wants to know what is this thing capable of doing outside of browsing the web. He found it surprising that I have one of these in my workflow, considering its lack of ports. And, of course, the 12-inch MacBook here has only a single USB-C port. Uh, but here's what I like about it. First of all, the size. This thing is incredibly small, incredibly lightweight, uh, I've had this now, I think, four years. It's been that long. I got it in 2015, and I use it all the time. It generally drives the slideshow that I do uh, for this show. Uh, whenever I travel, if I go to New York, for example, I take this with me and leave the big MacBook at home, primarily because it's so lightweight. I can work with it on the train. It's not uh, big and cumbersome. It really does a nice job, and it runs everything that my Mac runs. It doesn't run those things as well as my Mac does, but for a lot of the things that I might do on the train, like email or uh, getting my QuickBooks stuff going or whatever, it can do all of that. I have everything synced up, so if I do something on here, it of course uh, connects back with my uh, home computer. And I even edit video on it every once in a while. Uh, the editing experience is not bad. It's not terribly fast, of course, um, but I'm able to load up my projects and uh, do all of my trims and everything else. And as you know, my workflow is very simplistic when it comes to video editing because I'm shooting everything live to disk. Uh, so composite shots like this are shot live. I'm not doing anything in uh, post-production to do what you see on screen here. So that, of course, uh, makes a low-powered computer here a good option for that. And I can pull up one of my prior projects here on this SSD, and you can see it's all there, and I can 
uh, edit to my heart's content and move things around. And it seems to work pretty well, actually. I'm not seeing many drop frames in the editing process. It does very slowly export video, though. So if I am on the road, uh, it's definitely not a super fast way to edit video. When I go to CES, for example, I bring the big MacBook with me. But this is very convenient because it does run everything my Mac does, and it does a passable job at everything. And it's certainly more useful than an iPad would be, for example, for getting a lot of this kind of work done. And it really has been a great experience over the last four years with it. It's, you know, again, a Core M that's not, you know, terribly high performing, but it's good. Now, for the port, I got a couple of things depending on what the needs are. Uh, so, yeah, I would have loved to have had a second USB-C port on this. Uh, but I got one of these in from the Amazon Vine program a while back. And this has been a really useful thing to keep in the bag with it. Uh, this is like a mini dock. It's got a gigabit Ethernet, an HDMI output, two USB 3.0 ports, and then it takes power in as well. So it does uh, everything to give you all the ports that you need. I just toss this in the bag, and I plug the hard drive into the USB port, and I can start uh, working on stuff. So this thing has been really helpful for that. And really, there's a lot of USB-C adapters out there now that are very affordable and useful and certainly more than there were when I first got it, when you're paying a lot for those USB-C adapters. So it seems to work great, and it's a great convenient device. I would love to see one uh, powered with an ARM processor because that would give you the battery life and I think would improve uh, some of the video editing capabilities on it, just given how well the iPad does with video editing. So I'm going to jump on one of those the minute it comes out, but until then, I'm going to keep using this one until it is dead because it is a great little machine. And that brings us to our next question about the Surface Go. And this one comes in from IAMRLK69, who does comment quite frequently here on the channel. Uh, He wanted to know what my long-term impressions were of this device. And I have to say they've been very good. Uh, What's funny is that I use this more as a PC than I do as a tablet. It's very easy to put into tablet mode, of course. You just pull the keyboard off and it will switch into that mode. Um, But I really just don't like the Windows tablet interface. I just prefer it to be a PC. And what's nice about this is that I'm often having to do stuff in Windows, and it's so nice to have a little device that I can keep on my desk and grab when I need it to format a drive or to get some utility loaded up or do some kind of product preview or whatever. It's just a very convenient PC. It performs good enough, just like the MacBook does, to do most of those tasks without any problems, and I've been very, very pleased with it, not only for its form factor, but its battery life and just the overall user experience with it. I did sell the pen. I don't use the pen at all. I use my, my iPad for that. And I always keep the keyboard attached here as well because it's just helpful as a PC to be a, a full and complete device. It, like the MacBook, only has that single USB-C port, but you can power it separately. So that does provide a little bit more flexibility. And I have the choice as to how I want to power it. So if I don't want to take the power adapter with me, I can just use a USB-C power device. I can use my little hub thing or one of the other devices I have or uh, just fire it up directly. The other thing that I like about it is that it works really well in my video workflow. Let me show you an example of that. Now, one thing that really surprised me about the Surface Go was how well it handles NDI video, both sending and receiving. Now, if you're not familiar with NDI, it's a means of transmitting video over the network into your production environment. It works with my TriCaster here, of course, but you can also use it with OBS. In fact, we did that the other night uh, when we did our VR live stream. It is so easy. You load up this little app, and the screen is just available to devices across the network. And it works great on this device because 
It has an Intel processor with QuickSync built in. So as you can see here, I can do product demos. I can uh, do whatever I need to do here on the Surface Go. And if I have a Windows app that I want to show off in a video, I'm able to do that. Again, it's not the fastest thing in the world here. You can see how long it took for Chrome to load up on it, but it's good enough uh, for getting a lot of things done. Uh, and in addition to sending NDI video, it also works well as an NDI monitor. So I can uh, say hello to everybody here and uh, just be able to use this to monitor uh, what my TriCaster is outputting in different parts of the room. And that can be really helpful because we have a chroma key screen over there. And rather than drag the monitor over from the TriCaster, I can just set this thing up. I've got a little stand uh, with wheels and a, and a mounting bracket, and I can have it just sit there uh, as a monitor. And it even works well over Wi-Fi for that. Although for transmitting, I like to have the uh, Ethernet attached to it. So it's great as a little monitor. It's great as a uh, screen sharing device, and it runs Windows apps well. It's not going to design the next great engineering feat or some crazy uh, thing like that, but it will do most of the basic Windows apps without issue, and that's generally what we do here on the channel. So it's great for that. I love the form factor. I just love having a Windows computer always at hand, and that is exactly what this device has done for me. And for our pick of the week this week, I grabbed this game on my Nintendo Switch a couple weeks ago called Super Blood Hockey, and I've been having a blast with it. I was a huge fan of the original ice hockey on the NES. Uh, this is an extreme version, uh, probably designed to get you demonetized, I guess, but it's kind of fun. It's got a, uh, a whole franchise mode, and you can build up these little characters. It's really cool. I've been enjoying it quite a bit. So if you liked ice hockey and all the arcade action of it on the NES, you will love this game and will be totally addicted to it. It's been a lot of fun uh, playing around with this and building out my franchise. I just wish I had more time to play it. So check out Super Blood Hockey if you are interested in that game. So this week on the channel, we've got a couple of fun things planned. We're going to edit down the rebuild of my gaming PC to something a little shorter than two and a half hours. So you can see me rebuild the PC. And what we're also going to talk about in that video is how I am using that computer in my living room upstairs. Uh, so what I've got it set up for is VR, and there's a big space in that rec room to do that. Uh, but I also ran a very long cable, and I'll tell you about the cable in the video, over to my television so I can play games like it's a game console, so I can get some 4K gaming going on on my OLED TV, yet still have a desktop computer at a desk and have a VR workstation all out of the same computer. I will also tell you why I went with an i9 processor over the new Ryzen's, which look amazing. Uh, but there are some things that I need an Intel chip for, which I will discuss in that video. So that'll be coming up a little later this week. Uh, we're also going to be looking at the Flex 14 from Lenovo. It's their uh, lowest cost yoga device. That video is almost done. We're going to have that one posted hopefully up uh, tomorrow or Wednesday or so. Uh, be on the lookout. And then today I'm also getting in the Logitech Crayon. I bought my oldest daughter an Apple Pencil, and I thought maybe I'll give this one to the younger one, uh, just so we can see what the Logitech low-cost but compatible Apple Pencil device is all about. Uh, so stay tuned, we'll have that going. And if we got any time left, we'll also be looking at the DS419 Slim from Synology. Uh, that came in uh, just before the weekend. I'm going to unbox it on the Extras channel, and then we'll uh, play around with it a bit. And maybe, and this is unlikely this week, but probably next, is we'll have another live stream where I'm going to put together uh, this really cool build-your-own controller from Piper. They call it the Piper Command Center. It integrates an Arduino, and you can basically make your own USB game controller by wiring up everything yourself. No soldering required. It'll be kind of a fun little project to do as a live stream, so be on the lookout for that. And I will let you know when we're going to do that. 
Now, if you want to support the channel, you can. You can go to lon.tv support and make a monthly or a one-time contribution to the channel. We also still support Patreon. And of course, your super chats are appreciated. Uh, we also have our ongoing relationship with Plex, where if you sign up for a free Plex account, no credit card required, we get a small commission. You can also sign up for a Plex Pass or gift it to somebody else, and we'll get a slightly larger one uh, for that activity. We also have a number of other channels, including my extras channel for unboxings and supplementary content. Uh, we have my podcast feed at lon.tv podcast, which has an audio version of this show. We have the Snippets channel at lon.tv slash snippets, which takes portions of this show and makes them more search-friendly. And then we have my live stream archive where you can watch tens of hours of me tooling away at something or or whatever uh, over at lon.tv slash live streams. If you want to be notified whenever something happens, you can click the bell and that will let you know when we go live or premiere or even upload anything. So be on the lookout for that. We also have ways that you can engage with the channel. My email list is at lon.tv slash email. It is very infrequent. We have the Facebook page at lon.tv slash Facebook. The Facebook group is at lon.tv slash Facebook group, where we've got almost 700 people now who have some great conversations and give me some great ideas for the show. And then we have the store, where I sell things that we've previously reviewed here on the channel and I'm now getting rid of. And you can go to lon.tv slash store alert to be notified whenever we add things to the store. And I hope to add more stuff to it. Uh, later this week because we have to clean up the office. It is a disaster in here, and i got to get rid of stuff. So look, be on the lookout. We'll have uh, more to come for sure. And that is going to do it for this week's weekly wrap-up. I want to thank you all for your continued support of the channel. Your comments and suggestions and criticisms are valued, uh, so please keep them coming down in that comment stream. And until next time, this is Lon Seidman. Thanks for watching. This channel is brought to you by the Lon.TV supporters including Gold Level supporters, The Four Guys with Quarters podcast, Tom Albrecht, Brian Parker, and Kalyan Kumar. If you want to help the channel, you can by contributing as little as a dollar a month. Head over to lon.tv slash support to learn more. And don't forget to subscribe. Visit lon.tv slash s.